Father, as we get into your word today, I just ask, God, that you would work in our lives. Lord, as we begin a new study, a new book, looking at something a little bit different, I, I pray that as we begin to examine and watch Paul doing ministry and watch the outreach to a church there in Greece a couple millenniums ago, Lord, I pray that it would impact our lives and that, God, Lord, it would touch us and encourage us and strengthen us. And I thank you that we just studied in Hebrews that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you don't change. You're the same God we're reading about here. You're the same God uh, going into the future. That we can trust you and we can know, God, that you're in control. So I pray you'd bless this time. Encourage us. Thank you for our country. Thank you for this day that we can celebrate uh, independence and celebrate this nation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we begin Thessalonians, it's always, for me, it's a kind of a struggle. I have a struggle when we start a new book because I like to do research. I like to look behind the scenes, see what's going on. And then I struggle. How much of that do I give out? How much of that do I share? Because I know some of you, you kind of like history stuff. You kind of like background, kind of like to know what's going on. And some of you despise it. And so it's always, for me, it's like, how much do I do? What do I do? And so I think the last couple books, I've been light on it. This time we're going to go a little deeper into the background. So if you're not a background person, if you don't care about the historical stuff, you can go to sleep. I'll wake you up when we get into the, the, the part that you might like. I'll shout real loud so you can come awake. But listen, some of that's important to understand. Why did he write it? What was going on? What was happening? What was happening in that fellowship? What was happening in the world around them? Why was he motivated to do this? So I want to I want to try and touch on that. Now the thing that fascinates me the most is that this is one of the and probably possibly the very first book, the first letter that Paul ever wrote. I find that fascinating because of what it entails and what it has. There's a lot of end times eschatology in this book for it to be the very first one the very first letter he wrote. So that's intriguing to me. I like that idea. Now some say Galatians may be before, so it's either the first or the second. It's right up there. But Paul's writing, so uh, we're gonna look at him for a minute, then we're gonna go over to Acts 17, then we're gonna come back and kind of start digging in. So first of all, just the very first part of the, of, of the first verse says Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. So Paul's the one writing. And here's what blows my mind is he includes these other two as equals. I like that. Hey, they're a team. Paul didn't think, I'm the superstar, and they're the second string. He keeps them right on par with him and gives them, you know, gives the names all together, not one higher, not one greater. But then also, notice what is missing from what he usually has in his letters. He doesn't bring up, doesn't mention doesn't even tag it with an apostle. Why does he not bring up his apostleship, his authority? I think the main reason, I don't think that was an issue in Thessalonica. I don't think these people were struggling with that. I think they accepted him. I think they fully accepted him for who he was, for his authority, and et cetera. So he didn't even have to touch that. He, all he did was say, hey, this is Paul. I'm writing you a letter. And then, 
in the next part it says, it says, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now we're gonna come back and look at that in a little more detail. So he's writing to a church in Thessalonica, which would have been Turkey. So now let's kind of take a journey back and let's figure out this church. Where did the church come from? How did it come about and what happened? So go to Acts chapter 17. And you know, technically we should read 16, 17, and 18, but we're just gonna do part of 17. In chapter 16, before chapter 16, do you remember that Paul was trying to go in a certain direction? This is his second missionary journey. He's taken off and he's trying to go in a certain direction and he tried to go and the Lord stopped him. He changed to another direction, the Lord stopped him. He changed to another direction, the Lord stopped him. That always blesses me because here's what that shows me. Even the apostle Paul at times didn't know what he was supposed to do. And at times, he made choices that weren't with the Lord's will. And here's what happens. When you make choices not according to the Lord's will for you, he'll change your direction if you're sensitive. So then what happens? Paul sees a man from Macedonia. Most of us know that, right? He sees a man from Macedonia saying, come here. That's Greece, right? Come here. Come and share with us. So Paul, what does Paul do? He goes to Macedonia. The first place he goes is Philippi. And he shows up at Philippi, meets Lydia, right? The lady doing a prayer, and she gets saved, gets baptized, has an encounter with another person that is demon-possessed, releases that person of their demon. The owners get mad. Paul ends up in jail. Paul and Silas end up in jail. Then they get out of jail. How do they get out of jail? God brings an earthquake. I love that whole scene. I might... I might romanticize some of that. Like whenever I'm reading that, don't you kind of want to jump in and get involved? Like I love, listen, I love to travel and I love getting involved with other cultures, especially their food. But that's just kind of a side note. I'm always intrigued with what people eat and, and the foods they eat. And my wife sometimes goes, you shouldn't do that. Especially street food, so good. But anyway, Back to Paul, I think he had ate some street food in Philippi. So now he's in jail, the earthquake happens, and remember the jailer was gonna commit suicide? And he doesn't. Paul says, stop, we're all here. And now listen, now he's out of jail, and the people say, bro, you gotta get out of town, you can't stay here. So that's where Acts chapter 17 comes in, and it says in verse one, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Apol uh, Apollonia, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So here's the thing. If you follow the road, here's what's interesting. There was a road that Rome had built, and I'm just gonna use today's terms. It doesn't matter what it was called in ancient times because we're not living there. It was like I-10, right? It was an interstate, a major interstate that Paul's on, and he's going on that interstate, and I just kind of get this thing. First, he comes to the first A town, and hey, he doesn't stay there about 30 miles, about 30 more miles. He comes to the second one, doesn't stay there, maybe spends a night, maybe that's his night rest. Then he comes into Thessalonica. Thessalonica at that time, 200,000 people. Now, think about that. That's a, that's a city today. But think about back then when cities weren't sprawled out. You have 200,000 people in a small area. And imagine walking in there, and, and I can just see Paul kind of like, wow, this place is phenomenal. 
kind of looking at it, and how are we going to reach a people here? Why did God lead us here? What are we supposed to do? He hasn't been there before, and he hasn't read the rest of Acts. And he's like walking through, and, and just imagine yourself in those positions, and you're kind of, you know, you're looking, and you're excited, but there's a little bit of fear. You just got, you just got beaten and put in jail. Now you're released. I don't know how eager you would be to share the gospel and get involved, although Paul was. So he gets to Thessalonica, listen, and when he gets there, it says there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, so a couple things about this city. 200,000 people, which was a large city, but here's the interesting thing about this city in particular. It's what they would call in that day a free city, which would mean it was free to be and have their own government, but it was set up like a little Rome. So Rome expected these cities, they gave them a lot of freedom, a lot of variance to govern themselves, but they had to copy what Rome did. They had to, if Rome did it, you did it here. Every one of these free cities was like a little Rome. And if you didn't do it, they began to take your freedom away and take things away, and if it got bad enough, they would bring in a garrison, so an army, a whole entire uh, uh, garrison would move in, you had to house them, you had to take care of them, you had to pay for them, and they would govern the city. So you're kind of getting an idea. So right now it's free, and they're enjoying their freedom and they're loving it. Also, as we think about that, it's also a city that was very religious. It was only 50 miles from Olympus. They obviously, they worshiped all the Greek gods, the Roman gods, and we just read he went in a synagogue. There's Jewish religion going on. But the strongest religion was emperor worship, the cult of Caesar worship. And that, had, that listen, it had just begun to take place. This is about 50 AD, just begun to take place. So you have all of that going on. So Back in those days, it wasn't, it, listen, it wasn't looked down on to talk about religion. They could talk about religion. Now, Paul's coming in, and he's going to talk about religion. The problem was you had to keep it within certain boundaries because your religion couldn't be what Paul's about to preach, or it would freak people out. So now he's there, he finds a synagogue, and here's what I love. Look at what happens in the synagogue in verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So, so listen, as we get into this, Paul here now is beginning to open up the scriptures. Now, I love the four things that says he does. He goes in a synagogue, and he doesn't just do synagogue thing. What's the first thing he does? He reasons with them. Do you ever spend time reasoning with people? You know what that means? It means you sit down and have a conversation with them. You hear what they have to say, and you hope they hear what you have to say. Yeah, listen, I think too often we just want to say our part and we don't want to reason with people. You should know what you believe, why you believe, what you believe, and you can defend that without getting all uptight. It's okay. Listen, it's okay if people don't believe like you. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's their business. Have a conversation. Reason with them. I love the idea. Listen, Judaism that, at that time had that stronghold, and Paul wasn't afraid of it. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. 
And then it says, listen, then it said, not only did he reason with them, it says he explained to them. He took the scriptures and began to dissect them and explain. He had Bible studies. Do you know there's a big difference between having Bible studies and studying about the Bible? Big difference. We have Bible studies. And listen, that's what he was doing. He's explaining the scripture. And then it says demonstrating or proving to them. And then he heralded the gospel, proving to them that Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead. I love that, man. Can't you, don't, don't you wish you could be there on that day, listen to him begin to do that, breaking all that down. Yes, you go, Paul. And he's doing all of that. And, and I want us to take note, it says for how long? Three Sabbaths. Do you know what that equates to? Three weeks. That's not a long time. Now, here's what blows my mind. How long was Paul in Thessalonica? If we go by this, three weeks, maybe four. Now, the brainiacs all like to try and figure out and the critical thinkers and stuff. Well, maybe he was there longer and then later on in Thessalonians, we're gonna read that he did start his doing his tent making while he was there and working and people said that proves that he was there a long time. Not necessarily. How many of us can go three weeks without a paycheck, right? So, hey, he started, he could have started right when he got there. I don't know, but here's what I believe the way we're gonna read this is he was there at the most four weeks. Keep that in your mind. We'll get back to that in a minute. So he did that, and then, listen, as he's sharing, verse four, and some were persuaded, a great multitude of the devout Greeks, not a few of the leading women, uh, joined Paul and Silas. So listen, man, it's starting to affect people. And it kind of gives us different stratas of society that got affected, prominent people, not prominent people, some of the ladies, some of the, the, the Greeks, I'm sure some of the Jews, and they're being affected. And here's the thing, where did he just come from? Philippi. What happened in Philippi? They didn't like Paul a whole bunch. They put him in jail. Now, it's only about maybe 100 miles away. I'm sure, I'm sure people are talking. They're not using Facebook, they're not texting, but some stuff's going on. And so listen, now it tells us in verse five, but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious. So the Jews who didn't believe, they became envious. And we've done some studies lately about not doing things from conceit or envy. Listen, why are the Jews envious? All he did was teach the scriptures. But now they're envious and they're angry. So look at what these guys did. It says, those who were envious took some of the, now check this out, evil men from the marketplace and they gathered a mob. Doesn't sound like a good bunch of people, right? Evil men, a mob, and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring him out to the people. So kind of get this picture. We're, we, we see it today, just like that, you can start a mob and a riot, right? Say the right things at the right time to the right people, and all of a sudden, they're in the streets, they're burning things, they're angry, they're stealing things. That's a, hey, that's humanity. That's in the heart of man. It goes all the way back here. That's what's going on. Kind of, kind of picture it. They're, you know, they're ripping off Target stores, they're ripping off Nikes, they're carrying flat screen TVs, you know, they're doing that. They're angry. Why are they angry? Nobody knows. They're just angry. Oh, now what's going on? 
you have chaos. What happens when you have chaos? Rome's not too happy. They're not doing things right. So the leaders of the city now have a dilemma on their hands. You got this Paul showed up, caused these problems, supposedly. Now you have chaos going on. We got to squash this, and we got to squash this right now. We need to take care of it. So these guys are at Jason's house, kind of banging on the doors or whatever they're doing. And verse 6 says, but when they did not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now Jason, listen, Jason lived there. He didn't come from anywhere, right? And now they're dragging him out and they're holding him in front of him. And then it says, verse 7, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the, degree, to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king. Oh, oh. What was Paul preaching? He's preaching the resurrection, right? And, and he says, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. What did that mean to a Jew? Again, get the context. What did that mean to a first century Jew? Here's what it meant. He's the deliverer coming to deliver Israel out of the hands of Rome. Oh. They're not exaggerating when they're saying he's preaching another king besides Caesar. He's telling them to worship somebody else and not worship Caesar. Now, listen, now they have a reason to get upset. Now they can act, and here's what they're saying. Not in our city. We're a free city. We're not going to lose that status. We're not going to let you do that. We are going to defend what we have here. So they bring Jason out. They accuse Jason, and then this part kind of cracks me up. And verse 9 says, and... They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Do you understand what's going on? Jason and the others who were with him, they posted bail. Right? They took security. They posted a bail. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what it was supposed to be. I don't know what, what would happen if they broke that. But that's what's going on. Are you getting that picture? So here's what Jason did. It's fine. Here's, a, some, here's some cash, and we're going to take care of this. So then it says, listen, then it says, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Oh, by night, here's what they said. You guys got to get out of here. And they sent them to Berea. So keep this in mind. Paul and Silas were there for three weeks. How old is the oldest believer in Thessalonica when Paul leaves? Three weeks. Right? I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about time of believing. Get this in your mind. Think about this. You leave and you got to put in leadership three-week-old Christians. That is scary. That is terrifying. But he's got to do it. Why? Because he's gone. Now some of you are going, no, he had to bring somebody in. That's because you're a scaredy cat. That's why. They live on the edge. Could God do that? I think he could. And I think, listen, this is a dilemma that the scholars have. Surely not. Surely he would not do that. If that's the only option you have, 
That's what you're going to do. Maybe even Jason, huh? We don't know. Maybe even Jason. So he goes to Berea, shares in Berea. They examine what Paul had to say. You can read on. Don't read while I'm teaching. It's rude. I don't teach while you're reading. Don't read while I'm teaching. So listen, listen. He goes to Berea. Then he goes to Athens. Then he goes to Corinth. Now, this is the real mind blower to me. By the time he gets to Corinth, we're going to read later on in Thessalonians, Timothy shows up at Corinth. So evidently, Timothy was either going back and forth or stayed for a while. He goes to Corinth, and he lets Paul know some of the stuff that's going on in Thessalonica. But it's just months, listen carefully, it's just months down the road that he writes this letter. That like, I get excited about that. Listen, it's not a long time. It's not years. It's not the church developed. It's not the church grew. It's not the church was. And actually, he doesn't address any problems in this church specifically. He just talks about life and talks about doing life and talks about the second coming of Jesus. A lot of end times, a lot of eschatology in the two letters to the Thessalonians. So here's the deal. He ends up in Corinth. And now he's going to write them a letter. So now, let's go back. Now, you guys are all well-versed on the church there, right? Nod your heads, just pretend. The church is planted, it's going, Paul's back. Now as he writes this, and here's what I love, listen to what he writes again in verse one of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter one. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. Wow. The church what? Of Thessalonia. Right? The church of the Thessalonians in God the Father. How does Paul usually address his letters? Doesn't he usually say the church at someplace? It's interesting to me that he uses the word of here. He's saying it just a little bit different. But here's what blows my mind, because sometimes we say, you know, the church in Tucson, the church in, he says they're of a place, but they're in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you like that? Listen, they're in Christ. And I love that idea. And they can only be in God the Father because they're in Christ. He can't be your father if you're outside of Christ. You can't do that. And I love the way just theologically Paul puts this together as he addresses them. And I think it's an encouragement to them. It's letting them know, hey, you guys are of, you're of this place, but you're in Christ. Doesn't that sound good? It's like us. We're in Christ, but we're of Sierra Vista or Cochise County or Southeast Arizona or America, whatever term, wherever you're from, maybe Mars. Man, but here's what I love. They're of God the Father. I'm sorry, they're in God the Father and Christ Jesus. It really disturbs me, the culture we're living in, when we're trying to do away with any kind of gender and any kind of gender terms, that we can't use those, that they're demeaning. I shared last night, I'm not sure I should share, but I guess I will, because I did it last night. Our paper, the Herald, 
Last weekend, did anybody get the Sunday paper last weekend? Did you read it? There was not one, one syllable about Father's Day. Nothing. There were several stories about Pride Weekend in Bisbee. That upsets me. Hey, you can do pride, that's fine, but nothing about Father's Day, not even, not even just a little thing in the bottom. Oh, by the way, it's Father's Day. And we want to take away from that. Why? That's an attack. Listen, that is a direct attack on the family that is orchestrated by people behind certain movements that some of us are not even aware of, and they're pushing really hard to do away with that and get that out of our vocabulary. Why is Father so important? Why is it important to say God the Father? What does fatherhood represent? Good fatherhood, I'm not saying maybe you had a bad father, but but biblical fatherhood, what does that represent? It represents protection, it represents provision, it represents guidance, etc. We could go on and on and on. Fatherhood is good, and don't say God can't be father. It's a good thing when we say that, and it upsets me. Now off my soapbox, back to this. They're in God the Father, in Christ Jesus. The only way you get in God the Father and in Christ Jesus is through Jesus and that relationship with him. And then he kind of does the typical thing that we talk about, right? He does the grace and the peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Wow, do you notice how many times he brings that up? Check this out. Follow this scripture. See how many times he says God our Father. Over and over. He doesn't just use generic God. But listen, man, as he brings this up, he says... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I love what he's doing here. And I don't think, again, I think it's bad when we just kind of go over that. And, you know, and I've even done it sometimes. You know, grace and peace, the same each twins that Bob, that Bob. I think his name's Paul. But anyway, that Paul writes, when he, I don't know where Bob came from. But listen, that he writes as he puts in. I was just seeing if you guys were paying attention, actually. That's, that was a check. But listen, man, he does this, and, and he's, he's projecting to them. What is grace all about? We, we know, right? God's unmerited favor. God, again, giving us what we don't deserve. And he's coming, and, and I even wrote down this definition. It's God's undeserved favor to the sinner in the form of complete forgiveness of sin and the granting of eternal life. So he says grace, and then peace, we talked about last weekend, peace or shalom, the, the, the Greek word is, is a takeoff on the Hebrew word shalom, and shalom, as we talked about last time, is so much more than just a cessation of hostility. Peace in in, in a Jew's mind, the shalom is, and, and we gave this definition last time, completeness, soundness, welfare, wholeness, well-being. That comes from God through his grace. And so Paul, again, is, is, is praying that or putting that upon them, and then he says, listen, that grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what he says here. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Wow. Paul went from Thessalonica to Berea to Athens to Corinth. And here's what he's saying. I'm in Corinth, but 
but I'm praying for you guys in Thessalonica. That's kind of cool to think about, isn't it? I mean, I would like Paul to pray for me. I'm sure that encouraged them a little bit. I'm sure it made them feel good. And it should make us, listen, when anybody says they're praying for you, doesn't it make you feel good? Even, hey, not, not when you're necessarily going through something, just when people, you know, it blesses me. There's people who go out the door here and, and every once in a while someone will say, you know, I want you to know I pray for you every night before I go to sleep. That's a blessing to me. And Paul's writing to this young church and letting them know. And, and you know, I love, I like to read J. Vernon McGee. And I brought it up before. When I read J. Vernon McGee, I hear J. Vernon McGee, right? My friends, let me tell you, you know, and, and that's kind of, if you've ever listened to him. And I love, in this part, he says, you know, this is proof that Paul's from Texas. <laughs> listen, listen. He says, we give thanks to God always for y'all. <laughs> right? So listen, man. But Paul says, listen, man, I'm, I'm giving thanks to God. I'm thanking God for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's not just lifting them up necessarily. He's also thanking God for that church. What a blessing. By the way, some of you are looking at your watches. We're not going to go to verse 10. I caught some of you. Some of you are doing this. You're looking at your Bible, looking at your watch. How is he going to get to verse 10? So I'm not going to tell you how far we're going, but just so you know, quit looking at your watch. So he says, listen, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering, here's what I love, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in Christ Jesus, or in Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Woo! Listen to what he's saying about them. He's saying, listen, man, I lift you guys up, and when I do that, I do it without ceasing. I don't stop praying for you. I remember, and here's what Paul remembers of them. Listen carefully what he remembers. This is what I want people to remember about me. I remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and the hope. Listen, your patience and hope as you work, as you walk, I'm sorry, as you walk with Jesus Christ. How good is that? Now listen, I know some people get uptight. And some people go, I don't think you're gonna have work and faith in the same sentence. That doesn't go together. I think Paul understands that we're saved by grace through faith. He wrote that someplace, didn't he? Didn't he put that like in Ephesians? So he knows, listen, he knows his theology. He knows that we're, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. But he also knows this. He goes on in that, that verse in, in Ephesians, that section, and says, you were created for good works, for his workmanship. Yes, yes. And so here's what, listen, when he says this, I love this, when he says, listen, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, I believe, listen, I believe faith takes work. Not to stay saved, not to be saved, but let it work out in us. Hey, we have this thing, we call faith, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that supposed to be reflected to the world? They can't see our heart. I love it when people go, I just know somebody's heart. I go, you haven't read your Bible. The Bible says only God knows a heart, so don't be telling me you know my heart. It might be wicked, might be good but you can tell by my actions. What did the old reformers say? I love, the old reformers always said this, we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. 
You have a work. Listen, so it's not working for salvation, but you have faith that's worked out, that's demonstrated to the world. And here's what Paul says. I remember that about you. How old were they in the Lord when he left? Three weeks, and they're already doing stuff. They're already demonstrating that. Don't you love that? And here's kind of the kicker. This is kind of fun. The original language, and I don't do this often, but the original language, the word for work there is more like a vocation. So let's look at it this way. I pray for you without ceasing for your vocation of faith. Hey, you might do something to earn money, saints, but your vocation is faith. Is that good? I live for faith. That's what I live for, and that's my vocation. So talking about long-term, talking about doing it, and then he says this. He says, not only that, your labor of love. Now, here's what's good. The original Greek word for work of faith, work is vocation, The original Greek word for labor here is that thing, I like to put it this way, the heavy lifting part of work, the struggle, the strife, the difficulty of trying to get that through. Do you understand what he's saying? Loving somebody biblically is laborious. All of you guys are just glaring at me. It's a labor to love somebody. I'm not talking about being in love. I'm talking about biblically loving somebody. That's work, that's hard work, that's difficult. And some of you go, no it's not. I don't think you've ever unconditionally loved somebody. What if somebody spit on you, you're gonna love them? What if somebody curses you, you're gonna love them? Your labor of love, wow. We often say, even in our culture, what do we often say? We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. And we gotta love our family. And sometimes loving your family is the hardest, right? Not your heads. Unless your family's here, then go like this. <laughs> loving your family gets difficult. Why? Because you know them the best, you're around them the closest. And, and listen, that's hard. Now, check this out. We're all family, <laughs> You getting where I'm going with this? We're all family, and you know what that means? We're hard to love. Someone said amen. God bless you. (laughs) Hey, Hey, it is a labor. We need to understand that. It is something that you have to work at, and if you're nonchalant about it, that's how it's gonna come across. People aren't gonna really know you care. I love that. So he says, listen, listen how he ties this together. He says, your work of faith, your labor of love, and then here's the cool thing, and patience of hope. Now, all of these are in the Lord Jesus Christ, but specifically this one, they're all in your work of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Hey, if you're working out your faith, you're only doing it because Jesus is working in you. If you're laboring to love somebody, you're only doing that because Jesus is working in you. But then I love this, your patience of hope. What is he talking about there? My hope's in Jesus. I think we sang that in a song, didn't we? What do we mean by that? Why is all of our hope in Jesus? What are we saying by that? Are we saying we hope we get to heaven? No, I'm going to heaven. And all my hope is in that. Because Jesus Christ is gonna get me to heaven. Do you hear what he's saying? And you're patient. You're patient about it. You have that long suffering, you have that fortitude that I'm gonna hang in there. I don't care if it gets tough, I don't care if people get mad at me, I don't care, listen, I don't even care if I don't quote hear from God all the time, I'm still gonna have that patient hope for him, because why? Because I know Jesus is gonna get me to heaven. 
Isn't it interesting, in the first three verses, he's already brought up some eschatology. Cracks me up when people go, you know, modern eschatology just came about around the turn of the 20th century and 1900, certain things happened. Paul was pretty much into eschatology from the first letter he wrote or the second one. And we'll get more into that as we get more into the letter. But listen to what he says. And, and patient of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, of our God and Father. Once again, the fatherhood of God comes up. Don't diminish that. Don't take away from that. Don't try and downplay that. In three verses, three times, he's brought up, God is our Father. You know what that tells me? That's a pretty important uh, uh, principle that I need to understand and I need to get a hold of. So now, after he lays that out, are you kind of excited that you're part of the church in Thessalonica? I would be. Then listen to what Paul just wrote. Oh, and then he's got one more thing that blows people's mind. I love, I love the Bible. I love the Bible where it just like shoots something in there and you're going, I don't like that. Doesn't matter whether you like it. Listen to what he does. Look at verse four. Knowing, here's what Paul knows. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Oh, oh, oh. Pat, do you know what time it is? Shouldn't be bringing up election. I didn't. God did. It always cracks me up. People go, I don't like that. Here's the thing I found out. God doesn't really care if you like it. He's not like biting his nails. Man, I hope they get this. I hope they get it right. And we want to argue about it. We want to fight about it. Here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice this. Just close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes and just meditate on, think about for a moment. God chose me from the foundations of the world. How good is that? Hmm? Don't get uptight. Listen, don't take it to unbiblical conclusions. You can open your eyes now because you can fall asleep. You don't take it to unbiblical conclusions. Don't get to just begin to soak in the idea that God chose you. Election is all the way through Scripture. Why do we want to fight it? Here's why we want to fight it. We want to be independent. I'm glad God chose me. Were you ever one of those kids on the playground, you know, when you're like, you're like in elementary school and you play, you know, four square and kickball and stuff? Were you ever one of the kids where they would do this? We'll take him. Right, you're the last one. You ever one of those kids? It's not fun. It's not fun to be that kid. Well, we'll take him, dork. And then they listen, man, and then they do that. That's a drag. If you were one of those kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But check this out. God chose you from the foundation of the world. Yes, yes. I got a high priority chosenness, if you will, only two times in my life. Once from God and once from our country. When I got drafted, they chose me. I got a letter, you're chosen. That one, not so good. But chosen. Don't get uptight. You know, one of the old, old, old dead guys said it best. I love, I love what he says. He says, you know, because the Bible says we're chosen before the foundations of the world. This old, 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 old dead guy said, you know, I'm really glad God chose me before I was born. Because if he would have waited till I was born, he might have changed his mind. <laughs> right? Most of us could say yes to that. Like, really? 
Rest in that. Don't take it to unbiblical conclusions. And I don't want to get into a long, long uh, teaching. You can get our, 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 our teaching in Ephesians and, and uh, Romans if you want to really dig into that. Just rest in it. Don't get uptight about it. Rest in it. Be assured. And you can only be assured if you know the character of God. And because I know the character of God, that he's completely fair, he's completely just, he's completely righteous, I could trust him with that decision. Oh, there was another time I got chosen. My wife. Oh, That was like number one, I guess. But technically, I chose her. She just responded to my choice of choosing her. So I just thought, I thought I'd throw that out for some discussion. She's probably watching. No lunch today. So, <laughs> so listen carefully. Four verses, four verses. Are you beginning to understand this church was close to Paul's heart? And are you beginning to understand that as a young Christian, not very old in the Lord, you can still do great things for God. New believers, I love new believers. That's why you guys need to bring a bunch of people here to get saved so we can have a bunch of new believers. They make the biggest messes. They're so much fun. And it's fun to watch old believers around new believers because you have new believers and they'll do something weird like curse and the old believers are like, <gasps> they're like freaking out, man. They're like having a heart. They scatter. They like, I want to be around them. And I'm thinking, chill out a little bit. They've been saved for like five minutes. It's okay. It's okay when they do that. Hey, I've told you guys the story. When I was a new believer, I went to a home group bragging about the fact that I gave the lady back the wrong change. She gave me the wrong change because I bought a 12-pack of beer, and she gave me the wrong change. Just like that. Just like some of you are going, that's what the home group did. What? It's okay. It's all right. Don't get so uptight. Let's get some new believers in here. This is a side note only for the first service. Let's get new believers in here. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this letter that Paul gave. We thank you, Lord, for just the challenge in our own lives. And I do pray tonight, I, or this morning, I, I pray, God, that we would grab that understanding just in, just in his brief, Lord, introduction. And just what he says is his heart as he prays for them without ceasing. And he's remembering their their work of faith, their labor of love, their, their patience and hope, Lord, that all of that is going on within that church. And what that tells me is somehow, externally, that's coming out of them. People are seeing that. People are understanding that. So I pray, God, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters, that we would have that, that heart, God, to love you and to walk with you. And we would, Lord, we would be men and women who when we read in Acts chapter 17, we're not afraid of sitting down and reasoning with people about you. Do a work in our lives, God. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with God, and if that's you, you know I'm talking to you right now. You don't have that relationship. Maybe you've come to this church for a long time and you don't have that relationship. Today is the day to make that change. Today is the time to do that. Or maybe you're visiting, maybe family or friends invited you to come and, and you're here and God has touched your heart and right now you know, 
I want that relationship with Jesus. If that's your heart, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and the prayer's gonna be simple. You're gonna admit to God you're a sinner. That shouldn't be difficult. You know you've sinned. I don't, I don't have to convince you of that. The big thing is you need to be sorry for your sin. And you need to understand that your sins separate you from God. That's all bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sin. He took the punishment that you deserve upon himself so that you don't have to pay it, but you can receive from him that, that receipt that says paid in full. So if you want to do that, say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently, but it's got to be sincere. If you're backslidden, hey, if you're backslidden, Come back to Jesus, come home. Come back to him. If you're watching online, say this prayer where you're at. You don't have to be in this room. You can say it right here or right where you're at and, and just say it with us. Jesus, today I confess to you I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.